Hey, future doctors. Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Rhea Moherker. I'm currently a radiation oncology resident in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I will be your host today. Friday, December 15th, which is tomorrow, is the very last day that we are accepting applications for our student board here at Spoonville of Sugar. So if you're interested in a leadership position, we have both chair as well as membership roles within four uh, different committees. If you apply for this position and are selected, you will be part of the team responsible for producing the next season of the Spoonful of Sugar podcast. Uh, So I really think that this is a great opportunity if you're interested in some leadership experience, interested in connecting with other medical students, and have an interest in um, medical education and especially the role of uh, technology in medical education because podcasts are a relatively novel um, way of of spreading uh, knowledge. And so I really, really encourage all of you who are interested to apply. Again, tomorrow, December 15th, is the very last day that we're accepting applications, and then the team will be taking on in the new year. Very, very excited about that opportunity, and I look forward to reviewing your applications. Now, let us move on, with that said, to the topic of today's episode, which is DNA repair mechanisms. Now, the reason, you know, that I'm actually recruiting medical students to take over the podcast is because I always knew that all that step one related knowledge would leave my brain pretty soon after I graduated med school. And I was exactly right. That's exactly what happened. Most of the stuff that I talked about in the first season of Spoonful of Sugar, um, you know, I need a huge refresher to kind of recall some of those facts. So you might be wondering what business does a fourth year radiation oncology resident have knowing about DNA repair mechanisms? You know, why am I credible to even talk about this? So it turns out that as radiation oncology residents, we actually have to know a lot about DNA repair mechanisms because mutations in all of these pathways can lead to an increased propensity of cancer, um, as we'll talk about in this episode. Additionally, whenever ionizing radiation or chemotherapy agents cause damage to DNA, the cells in the body respond by trying to repair the DNA using these very same pathways. And so as radiation oncology residents, we actually get tested on this topic in our radiation biology portion of board exams. When I was a medical student, I confess, I thought that this was one of those genetics, biochemistry topics that I'd probably never use again, but boy, was I wrong. If you are studying for the USMLE Step 1, and if you're considering a future career in either radiation oncology or medical oncology, you definitely need to know these DNA repair mechanisms as well. And so um, let's get started and kind of review this topic. As always, I'll be asking lots of questions to make sure that you're staying engaged and kind of testing your brain. Don't feel bad if you don't know the answer. Um, I had to look up a lot of these things myself as I was writing the outline for this episode. So uh, just, you know, try to engage as much as you can and, um, you know, keep a positive attitude. So there are five main types of DNA repair that you really need to know for this step one. Any idea how these are categorized? I'll give you a hint. We can kind of broadly split them up into two different categories. I think the easiest way to divide the different types of DNA repair mechanisms is by thinking about whether they affect a single strand of DNA or whether they affect the entire DNA double strand. 
So there are three types of repair that you need to know that repair single strand brakes. And then there are two types of repair that actually repair double strand brakes. So remember, there are five total types of DNA repair that you need to know. Three of them repair single strand brakes and two of them repair double strand brakes. Now, before we get into any details, let's review the structure of DNA. So DNA is made up of two strands wrapped around each other in a helix, right? And each helix is made up of nucleotides. Do you remember what is the structure of a nucleotide? So it, a DNA nucleotide consists of a phosphate and then a sugar backbone, so either ribose or in RNA or deoxyribose, which is in DNA, as well as a base. So phosphate, sugar backbone, and a base. And then there are four types of bases. So adenine and guanine are the purines, and cytosine and thymines are the pyrimidines. And these are the four types of bases that we see in DNA, which has a deoxyribose sugar backbone. Good. So what are the three types of DNA repair for single-strand breaks? The way that I remember these, I think it's easy to think about it if you remember that there are three types and they each have three letters. So there is N-E-R, B-E-R, and M-M-R. So B-E-R is base excision repair. N-E-R is nucleotide excision repair, and then M-M-R is mismatch repair. So these are the three types of DNA repair mechanisms that repair single-strand breaks. B-E-R, N-E-R, M-M-R. So base excision repair, nucleotide excision repair, and mismatch repair. And then different types of mechanisms come into play based on different kinds of damage. So let's try to break that down a little bit. In base excision repair, B-E-R, what kind of damage are we trying to fix? In base excision repair, we're typically trying to fix damage to a single base. So there are enzymes called glycosylases, which are specific to each base, and they come in and remove the damaged base, leaving an apurinic or apyrimidinic site, an AP site. So basically, glycosylases come in and they remove the base that you're trying to fix. Then the DNA repair enzymes come in. So your AP endonuclease cleaves the 5' end, lyase cleaves the 3' end, and DNA polymerase beta fills in the gap and DNA ligase seals it. So the key thing to remember is that the glycosylase removes the wrong base. An easy way to remember this, um, think about a base being bad, and in base excision repair, you're trying to fix the base that's bad. So glycolysis, glycosylase, I'm sorry, gly helps you say bye to the bad guy. The only challenge here is remembering to pronounce glycosylase the right way, which I'm clearly having a hard time with. So just remember that glycosylase comes in, helps you say bye to the bad guy, um, and then after that, all the DNA repair enzymes, so AP endonuclease at the 5' end, lyase at the 3' end, and DNA polymerase beta to fill in the gap, DNA ligase to seal the gap. All the other mechanisms um, have diseases associated with def defects in those pathways, but actually I don't think base excision repair has a particular uh, disease that you need to remember that goes along with it. So just remember, base excision repair, there's a single bad base 
Glycosylase comes in, helps you say bye to the bad base. All right, so that's base excision repair. Let's move on to the next uh, repair mechanism, which is nucleotide excision repair. What kind of damage does nucleotide excision repair fix? So NER fixes things involving damage to multiple bases. So not just one base anymore, but multiple bases. And to repair them, we can't take out multiple separate bases, which are a subsection of each nucleotide in the DNA. We just take out the entire nucleotide. So these are now larger lesions. These are bulky lesions that actually have the ability to distort the DNA helix. One example of a, you know, an erroneous structure that nucleotide excision repair can help to fix is called pyrimidine dimers. So interestingly, the types of damage that are repaired by nucleotide excision repair are often caused by exposure to UV light. So ultraviolet light, exposure to that UV light from the sunshine, causes creation of pyrimidine dimers. One thing to note is that, you know, there's a, in the spectrum of electromagnetic wavelengths, X-rays and gamma rays are kind of at the very high energy end of that spectrum, and those represent ionizing radiation. Ultraviolet light is really not ionizing radiation, but it's kind of right at the cusp and it's right below those high energy wavelengths of x-rays and gamma rays. So while ultraviolet light is not considered ionizing radiation, it can still certainly cause DNA damage and that's why it increases your risk of skin cancer. And what kind of DNA damage does it cause? Well, it causes these pyrimidine dimers, which are bulky lesions that distort the DNA helix and in order to repair them, you need nucleotide excision repair. So how does NER go about repairing these pyrimidine dimers? Any idea? So what happens is endonucleases release the oligonucleotides that contain the damaged bases. So endonucleases come in and, and cut out those damaged nucleotides. And then, just like in base excision repair, DNA polymerase and DNA ligase come in and fill and reseal the gap. So DNA ligase is always going to be resealing the gap. DNA polymerase is always the one that actually puts in those bases. So polymerase acts first, fills in the gaps, and then ligase reseals them and kind of makes it a pretty package. So any idea which phase of the cell cycle um, is usually the time when nucleotide excision repair is happening? So it's usually in the G1 phase or interphase before the DNA is replicated. Now, can you think of a disorder that involves defective nucleotide excision repair? And this is one that you'll probably get tested on. So xeroderma pigmentosum, or XP as an abbreviation. Xeroderma pigmentosum is an autosomal recessive disorder that results in an inability to repair DNA pyrimidine dimers. As a result, patients have increased sensitivity to UV light exposure, and they have increased photosensitivity of the skin. They have very dry skin and a predisposition to skin cancers. Now, one question that actually pops up on my board exams is do XP patients have increased sensitivity to ionizing radiation? What do you think based on what we talked about so far? So remember we talked about how UV light is not ionizing radiation? 
Um, ionizing radiation is higher energy x-rays or gamma rays. So XP patients actually do not have an increased sensitivity to ionizing radiation because ionizing radiation doesn't really result in pyrimidine dimers. Ultraviolet light is more likely to do this. So just remember, xeroderma pigmentosum, increased sensitivity to ultraviolet light. They have dry skin, increased risk of skin cancers. Great, let's move on now to the third type of repair that handles um, single-strand repairs. So this type is called mismatch repair. Do you have any idea what kind of damage is fixed here? So here um, in mismatch repair, we're fixing any nucleotides that are mismatched in a newly synthesized strand. So now that we're talking about a newly synthesized strand, any guesses, any guesses which phase of the cell cycle mismatch repair might occur most during? S phase, right? Because that's when we've just synthesized a new strand. Um, so remember that nucleotide excision repair typically happens in the G1 phase. Um, mismatch repair typically occurs in the S phase because now we're fixing a newly synthesized strand. Which proteins are associated with mismatch repair? So the easy answer is mismatch repair proteins are associated with mismatch repair. And there's a few different uh, abbreviations you need to know for the genes that code these mismatch repair proteins. So MSH2, MSH6, MLH1, and PMS2. These are some of the genes that we can actually test for to see if there's a defect in mismatch repair. Now, do you guys know what disorder results from mutations in mismatch repair? So this is another commonly tested one. It's called Lynch syndrome, also known as hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer. In Lynch syndrome, patients have defects in their mismatch repair genes, and they have a predisposition for certain types of cancer. Do you know which types of cancer? So I probably gave part of the answer away because the other name for Lynch syndrome is hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer. So they do have a higher risk of colon cancer as well as rectal cancer. And then there's a few others. So that includes endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, gastric, brain, and thyroid cancers. So remember Lynch syndrome, also known as um, hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, has a defect in the genes encoding um, mismatch repair proteins. So MSH2, MSH6, MLH1, and PMS2. Now, when patients are diagnosed with colorectal cancer, we usually test for MSH mutations. And if present, this is called microsatellite instability because um, microsatellites are short tandem repeats that contain DNA mutations. So it's important to realize that not all patients that test positive for this microsatellite instability actually have Lynch syndrome or a genetic MSH mutation. Sometimes MSH can have epigenetic silencing, which actually results in sporadic colorectal cancer. So in rectal cancer, for example, the reason that we test for microsatellite instability and if they have deficient MMR proteins is because then the patient can get immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy with PD-1 inhibitors such as nivolumab or pembrolizumab or dastarlimab. Um, that, I think, was a drug that was in the news a little while ago. 
So that's definitely a lot of detail um, and probably more than you need to know. What you should know for the level of step one is that mismatch repair protein defects causes Lynch syndrome. Recognize the MSH, MLH, and PMS genes and know that this Lynch syndrome increases predisposition for colon, rectal, endometrial, and ovarian cancer, among others. Awesome job, guys. We're already done with the single-stranded DNA repair mechanisms. It's time now to move on to double-stranded DNA repair. So do you guys know what are the two types of double-stranded DNA repair? These, I think, are the easiest for me to remember, but they sound very similar. So non-homologous end joining and then homologous end joining. And the difference between these two mechanisms is in their name. So non-homologous end joining repairs double-stranded breaks, but it doesn't need an identical or a homologous strand, right? Because it's non-homologous. So this type of DNA repair can happen in the G1 phase before we even have any replication of DNA. Since we're not using an identical replica in a homologous um, DNA strand the way we do in homologous end joining, non-homologous repair is actually more prone to errors. And that makes sense, right? It's non-homologous, so you're not comparing it to an identical strand, so it's more prone to errors. It's like drawing a picture without looking at, you know, an example to lead by. Can you think of an example in normal human cells where non-homologous end joining might be essential? So non-homologous end joining is actually used in the VDJ recombination that happens in our immune cells. Remember, this is the pathway where B cells make antibodies. So in disorders such as severe combined immunodeficiency or SCID, um, this disorder is actually associated with defects in the VDJ recombination due to a problem with the non-homologous end joining pathway. So remember, um, non-homologous end joining is naturally actually used in our immune cells because it's how B cells make antibodies using VDJ recombination. So defects in VDJ recombination that occur due to problems in the non-homologous end-joining pathway can lead to a disorder known as severe combined immunodeficiency, or SCID. There's another disorder, though, with non-homologous end-joining mutations that you need to know. Any idea what that is? So this one is called ataxia telangiectasia. This is an autosomal recessive disorder, and it's characterized by cerebellar degeneration, telangiectasias, which are these superficial branching nests of distorted capillaries over the skin. Um, it can lead to immunodeficiency, so patients have increased risk of sinopulmonary infection. It can lead to radiation sensitivity as well as cancer susceptibility. So mutations in the ATM gene actually coordinate pathways that respond to double-stranded DNA breaks. Um, and any mutations in that lead to a tan ataxia telangiectasia. All of these words are quite a mouthful for me here. So brief recap, just to collect our thoughts, uh, we are now talking about double-stranded DNA repair mechanisms. We talked about two different types existing. So far, we've covered one of them, which is the non-homologous end joining, which is more error-prone, and um, severe combined immunodeficiency, as well as ataxia telangiectasia, are some of the disorders that can result as a result of mutations in NHEJ um, pathways. 
So before we move on to the very last type of uh, DNA repair, I do want to take a moment to mention one little thing about radiation that you should know. So radiation can cause both single-strand as well as double-stranded DNA breaks. Um, Every time um, radiation hits, it probably causes a couple thousand times as many single-stranded breaks um, versus double-stranded breaks. However, the single-stranded breaks are easier to repair, and so it's really the double-stranded breaks that are more likely to result in the desired effect of radiation treatment, which is cell death of those cancer cells. So, you know, keep in mind that single-stranded breaks occur, but they're more likely to get fixed. They're also more common from radiation. It's really the double-stranded breaks, which is where the money is, because that's what is more likely to lead to cell death, and that's how radiation works. That's just a little side note that is something I didn't understand for a long time, um, but I wanted to kind of explain it to you guys. So moving on now, let us finally talk about the very last type of uh, double-stranded DNA repair, which is homologous recombination. Any idea which phase of the cell cycle this is going to primarily occur during? So this type of repair primarily occurs during S phase because now we're talking about homologous recombination. So we have two strands to work with and you need kind of that identical copy or that replica that you can work off of. So now we have something homologous to compare to and the way that we get that homologous strand is by replicating our own DNA, which occurs during S phase. So that's why homologous recombination occurs during S phase. We talked about non-homologous occurring more during the G1 phase. Now, what do you think in terms of how good homologous recombination is? Which type of double-stranded DNA repair do you think has more fidelity to the true um, DNA structure? So homologous recombination definitely has more fidelity to the original DNA strand, right? Because we just said we have a copy to work off of, so we have something that we can look at as an example. So homologous recombination is less error-prone compared to non-homologous. What mutations are associated with defects in homologous recombination? So these are the BRCA genes. These are, you know, notorious genes that you need to be familiar with. So the BRCA genes literally stands for the BR in breast and the CA in cancer. So BRCA genes lead to increased risk of breast and ovarian cancer, and um, mutations in these are associated with defects in homologous recombination. So great job. That brings us to the very end of this topic. I know it's kind of tedious um, and maybe not the most interesting thing to get through, but it's something that you definitely need to know for board exams and possibly in the future, depending on what career you choose. So before we wrap up, let's do a quick rapid review just to reinforce some of those topics that we talked about. So what are the three types of single-stranded DNA repair mechanisms? Remember, there's three types and each of them have three letters. So BER, NER, MMR. That's base excision repair, nucleotide excision repair, and mismatch repair. Now, which one of these involves a glycosylase to remove an altered base? That's base excision repair. Remember that silly mnemonic, gly removes the bad guy. Which type of single-stranded DNA repair takes care of damage that's caused by ultraviolet light? 
this is nucleotide excision repair. Because um, remember, nucleotide excision repair takes care of bulkier things versus um, just base excision repair. And so remember that ultraviolet light causes pyrimidine dimers. Pyrimidine dimers are bulky, so we need nucleotide excision repair to take care of those. Now, which single strand repair occurs during the S phase of the cell cycle? This one is mismatch repair. Remember, because we're literally correcting the mismatched nucleotides in newly formed DNA. And newly formed DNA exists only in the S phase of the cell cycle because that's when we've just completed replication. Now, which double-stranded DNA repair mechanism predominates during the S phase? So again, this one is homologous recombination because remember, we need to have that newly replicated DNA strand. So homologous recombination also happens in the S phase. The non-homologous end joining actually predominates in the G1 phase because we do not have an identical complementary strand to work off of. Now, ataxia telangiectasia results from a defect in which pathway? Non-homologous end joining. And remember, ataxia telangiectasia is one of the disorders from non-homologous end-joining. Um, SCID is the other one that results from a defect in um, non-homologous because we need the non-homologous end-joining for VDJ recombination. So SCID or severe combined immunodeficiency is the other one. And then xeroderma pigmentosum is a defect in what? So back to single-stranded now. Xeroderma pigmentosum is a defect in nucleotide excision repair, and these patients have increased sensitivity to UV light, increased propensity of skin cancers. Now, between ataxia telangiectasia and xeroderma pigmentosum, which disorder do you think would be more likely to increase sensitivity to ionizing radiation, such as an X-ray scan or a CT scan? So this is a tricky question, but the answer is ataxia telangiectasia. Remember we talked about how xeroderma pigmentosum increases sensitivity to UV light, but on the electromagnetic spectrum, UV light is considered non-ionizing. X-rays and gamma rays are higher energy and ionizing. Um, and so the, the true way that X-rays and gamma rays cause, cause cell death is by resulting in double-stranded DNA breaks. And ataxia telangiectasia... Um, results in pathways in non-homologous end-joining, which takes care of double-stranded DNA repair damage. So that's really the one that's more sensitive to ionizing radiation. And xeroderma pigmentosum is the one that has a mutation in um, the nucleotide excision repair pathway, um, and it results in increased sensitivity to UV light. So deep breath, that is now all I have. Um, we have now reviewed the five different types of DNA repair. Remember, there were three single-strand and two double-strand DNA repair mechanisms. Hopefully this episode gave you a good um, overview of them. I encourage you to listen to it again, take a look at first aid or whatever visual aid that you might have um, if you need something to kind of help, you know, visualize these on paper. Um, but hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully that rapid review helped to drive home some of the most important concepts. So as always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time and support. We are nearing the end of season three here, and next year we'll begin be getting into season four. Once again, if you're interested in joining the team, um, I really, really encourage you to apply. 
um, and I look forward to reviewing those applications um, in the next couple of weeks. So with that, thank you so much for your time. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about the episode, please log on to spoonfulofsugar.org and you can post them under the link for this episode. Um, as always, just remember that SOS does not have to just stand for a cry for help. It can also stand for a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Thank you.